Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Welcome to episode number 29. This is Bible study part 6, I believe. And this is going to be Jesus Christ, or the uh, it's going to be called the Gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, the Messiah. <laughs> Let me say that again. Uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the Messiah. And um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, in this introduction, though, I would like to talk about something that I'm sure nobody else is talking about in the whole world. <laughs> of course, I'm being sarcastic when I say that, but the Chris Rock slap by Will Smith and some of my thoughts on that. Uh, first of all, I don't want to proclaim anything that I don't know. I know a lot of people that say a lot of things. Um, the first question is, was it real or was it staged? Uh, you know, um, I lean towards that it was real. I've seen staged things before. For example, Andy Kaufman. I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan. I'm a huge wrestling fan. Uh, sometimes it, it gets a little gray in those <laughs> entertainment types things when somebody's faking an injury or they're really hurt. Um, it's hard to tell sometimes. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix on Letterman. You know, I'm a big fan of those kinds of things where they make it, they present something as real, but it's really not. Uh, that it's um, it's all faked. Um, but I, there were some things in this. Now, it just depends on who you're looking at because uh, Chris Rock, he was speechless for a second there before he started to announce um you know the next awards and as far as i could tell and i'm not a you know even a lot of people uh that are experts in looking at emotions and facial expressions and all that stuff uh believe it was real but let me just say this that when joaquin phoenix was on letterman there was a lot of psychiatrists that believed he had a real problem <laughs> so um but I'm just going by, you know, I, I could be wrong. But now Will Smith, on the other hand, he was smiling when he was walking back to his chair, you know. So some people think it was staged for that reason. Uh, now, why would they stage it? Well, uh, ratings. But um, I heard somebody point out that, you know, the ratings, um, if they wanted ratings, they would have put it at the beginning of the show and not at the end. Um and I don't know that that's something, you know, a way they want to present themselves. Is there some sort of, uh, you know, um, initiation going on? You know, um, somebody told me that, and I saw a video where in the Middle Ages they would initiate um, 
the person being initiated would get slapped and they could not they could not um, flinch or blink their eye they had to take it um, so I heard that you know and that would suggest that Chris Rock was the one being initiated I've also heard that uh, Will Smith is the one being uh, purposefully he had to do something to embarrass himself you know I really don't know I didn't really see anything obvious in terms of you know conspiracy type stuff um, and the other person that we could talk about is Jada a little bit she was the one that was upset by the joke and let me just say uh, assuming everything was real okay <laughs> um, just a moral analysis of the whole thing um, first of all with Chris Rock I don't think the joke was bad I don't think it was offensive um, it's possible that she was she's sensitive about it and I can understand that there's times that I say a joke that I didn't mean any harm by it but somebody gets their feelings hurt for whatever reason it pushed a button and I have to apologize you know it, but it you know I don't understand where that slap came from though because this is a normal thing in Oscars for comedians to stand up there and pick on celebrities you know it happens every year <laughs> And Chris Rock's done it before, you know. Um, it's possible that the things he said about Will and and uh, I wanted to say Grace. Now Will and uh, Jada five six years ago when he hosted that they didn't care for that very much. Um, if if you haven't seen it, which I think is a hilarious intro bit by Chris Rock um, six years ago, um, he was talking about how there were no black nominees that year and how Will and Jada, not Will, Jada was boycotting the Oscars. And he goes, isn't she on a TV show? And he, he, he goes, uh, she boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited, which is a funny joke, but they might not have taken that very well. Um, you know, he mentioned something about Will, you know, he says, it's not fair that, uh, that there's no black that will didn't get nominated this year but it's also not fair that he got paid 20 million for wild wild west <laughs> which uh you know those are funny i don't think they're crossing the line or anything like that but maybe they didn't take to it very well for whatever reason um i don't know um so from chris rock's standpoint i don't think he did anything wrong i think he handled everything with class after the slap um, it, it sounded like he was going to say something, like a comeback, and then he stopped himself. So that's good. Um, you know, I think he, as far as what he did on that stage, he did everything right. Some people suggest that maybe Will had or Jada had talked to him beforehand, said, don't bring up Jada's name. Don't say anything about her hair. You know, uh, that would be worst case scenario for Chris. But um the thing is, I don't think that's the case. And the reason I say that is because Will was laughing at the joke. And then, you know, Jada rolled her eyes. And then we don't see what happened after that, uh, you know, on the main camera. Now, there is another camera, uh, like a cell phone or something, that is being shown from behind them. And uh, she laughs after the slap, actually. <laughs> um, Chris Rock gets slapped and then 
Uh, Chris Rock says, I just got slapped out by Will uh, Smith. And Jada laughs at that. Um, so we don't see what happened between Will Smith laughing and him walking up. And my guess and everybody else's guess is that he saw Jada upset by the joke and decided to take, you know, to uh, defend her, whatever. Um, so anyway, from Chris Rock's standpoint, I don't think he did any, anything wrong. Will, Will Smith's standpoint, um, there was no need to do what he did. Um, I can't believe anybody defends him. There's people that say it was just a terrible, offensive joke, which it's it, it's not. Uh, this is the Oscars. They do this all the time. It was tame, in my opinion. Um, and it wasn't even poking fun at the hair. It was actually making something positive out of it, you know? Um, now, that doesn't mean... If I was Chris Rock, I think the right thing to do would be to say, Hi, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... Uh, hurt your feelings, I wasn't trying to pick at you there, you know, so there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with doing that, but Will Smith, there was no need for that, and I just want to say, um, well, I'll get to that in a second, because there's, the way people are covering this, um, and that could be part of why it would be staged, so I'll come back to that, but let me just get back to each individual, um, I don't know, you know, what caused Will to snap, and why he went up there, and then, you know, the, the slap itself, most people thought that was staged. If he had just gotten down and sat down, nobody would have thought anything of it, but when he started yelling and cussing, I think most people, uh, and, you know, no, there's no doubt that not everybody, you know, some people go way too far in conspiracy stuff and say everybody was in on it, you know, everybody in that stadium, you know. Um, it's possible that Will... And a few others had staged it, but Chris was not in on it. I don't know, you know. But anyway, if it was real, Will Smith was definitely wrong. And there might be some deep-seated issues there that we, we can dig into in a second. Now, Jada, she rolled her eyes. I don't think she did anything wrong at the Oscars. I don't know why that joke offended her, but she must be sensitive about it, her hair or whatever. So, um you know, so Will was definitely the one in the wrong. Um, I do do want to say some people appointed to the Oscar, uh, you know, security saying he should have been arrested. He should have been taken out. And I can understand that. Here, Here's the way I look at it. If you have a family reunion, let's say you have a Thanksgiving meal, right? If your brother or your sister slaps you in the face... You know, you get in a squabble and they get mad at you and they slap you uh, or hit you or whatever. That's a lot different than, let's say, a stranger coming in or some um, in-law that you don't you don't really know that is the first time that they're with the family and they come up to you and slap you that you barely know. Families are going to handle it differently in family than they would, you know, uh, with somebody they barely know. It's it's not always fair. People think it's because Will Smith is a huge star, and that probably is true. He's well known in the Oscars. He's friends, he, yes, he's even friends with Chris Rock, or at least he has been in the past. They know each other well. 
and Chris Rock chose not to press charges. Now, I think something has to happen from the Academy, and I think he had he ended up stepping down from, and I don't know what all that means. Um, but I would say, yeah, it's not fair, but Will Smith is basically family to people in the Oscars, and they're going to handle that differently than, say, if some random cameraman came up and did it that nobody knows, right? If Chris Rock barely knew the guy, he might be worried and press charges, you know? Um, so, um, now the psychological stuff, um, I, something I pulled up, um, and I, I'm sure most of you know this if you're, you know, care at all. Um, and again, this intro section is not that important. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, as far as celebrity, but I wanted to, to discuss this a little bit. You know, there was a, an interview between Will and Jada last summer, I believe, and Jada talking about having an affair, although she used other words to kind of lighten it, an entanglement with this guy, August. <clears throat> and, um, and Will said, you know, at that time he was very upset and he didn't think he'd ever talk to her again. But then later he says that it was all, uh, you know, his, the affair was consensual. He like, he consented to it. So there's a little bit of a, um, contradiction there, you know, um, I've seen some psychologists analyze that interview and these were way before, you know, these videos were put up before the Oscars. So it's not, you know, it's not just a guess based on the Oscars. Um, some, some psychologists have analyzed that interview and they suggest that she is in control of Will. She has control of him. She has the power dynamic in the relationship. And so he seems to be going out of his way to protect and defend her even when she did something wrong. Um, and perhaps there's some people that suggest that she's a narcissist and she kind of manipulated him with a look or something to go up and slap him. I'm not going to go there, but it's just something to consider. It's, it's, you know, they're having an open relationship. They've been, you know, they basically said that on, you know, in the interview. Um, and it's not the natural course of action. You know, that's not, and even if they think they enjoy it, it's going to cause jealousy. It's going to cause other issues in their relationship. And I don't think it'll last. I really don't. Um, now, they could be staying together for professional reasons, like for, uh, what do you call it, business reasons, and not because of love. You know, I heard one suggest that the reason she has the power dynamic is because he's worth billions and she's worth millions, which means that she would have a lot more to gain by a divorce than he would. And so for professional reasons, he's sticking it out, you know, I guess. That's just some guesses based upon psychologists analyzing it. Um, so finally, I want to talk about if it was staged, some agendas that could come out of it. And, and I just want to say real quick that I haven't seen anything being pushed yet. I've heard, you know, here and there different things, different agendas, but I haven't heard a unified uh, 
agenda yet. I haven't heard a left-right split on the issue. It seems like 90% of the people, at least in polls, are saying that Will was wrong, you know, and Chris was, you know, had there was no reason for, for the slap to happen. But let me uh, discuss a few things about the possible agendas that could come out of this. One thing that I heard was that um, it could be an attack on freedom of speech. And the only way that would be possible is if there's a shift in the media uh, that basically says that, you know, I, and I heard one or two people say this, that, yeah, you have a freedom of speech, but there's going to be consequences if you cross the line, you know, um, which I think is ridiculous because Chris Rock did not cross the line with that joke. He just didn't. But if there's a paradigm shift in the in the way the media covers it and all of a sudden a lot of celebrities start defending Will Smith and saying that Chris Rock was insensitive and if that becomes the storyline then it could be all about attacking freedom of speech but at this point I don't think that's the case because that's not the message being given you know um, what else could it be? Um, I've most of the people covering this and, and I want to be, this kind of bothers me, honestly. There's a lot of black people covering this and saying that they're worried that it's going to hurt the, um, image of black men. And I just want to to say that these are two men and a woman, Jada, right? You know, it, it would be kind of like saying that when Mel Gibson had his breakdown and, you know, you could, you know, there was a, he said some insensitive things or Michael Richards had a breakdown that somehow that hurts the image of white people, you know, or hurts the image of men. Um, I like to look at people as individuals and from what I gather, from what I, you know, I'm a fan of Will Smith. I'm a fan of Chris Rock. I don't know much about Jada. I've seen her in The Matrix, um, but I don't know much about her. I haven't seen a lot with her, um, but I am a fan of both Will Smith, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I like Enemy of the State. Great movie. Um, I've seen some other movies with him in it. Um, and Chris Rock is funny. Uh, I don't really watch his stand-up when it's not uh, censored. Like, if he's on TV doing the Oscars, he can keep it clean enough for me to enjoy it. But um, he probably cusses a little too much. I, I think he is funny, though. He is funny. Um, so there is that, you know. Um, but basically, um, I look at this as individuals. And let's take Will Smith, for example. I think that he um, has always presented himself as a pretty clean, good person for celebrity standards, you know. Although there's that marriage, you know, open marriage thing, which is not morally right. But, you know, he hasn't really gotten into a lot of trouble uh, until this is like the first bad thing on his image. Um, you know, and I think, well... 
that probably would take me way over time to get into French fresh prints. But, um, you know, I'll just say that I think it's, I, I don't think it's a, a, a very healthy way of looking at things to, to look at it as this is a, a, a black man's issue. It's an individual's issue. You know, we need to stop looking at groups. And, and I think that's part of the problem in, in some circles politically is they look at everything in groups instead of individuals. Look at individual liberties as opposed to group liberties. You know, I really, really believe, and I'm going to be a little passionate here. I really, really believe that one of the Marxist agendas is to get everyone to think in herds and not in, uh, for individual rights. And individual rights means that you respect the rights of others. You know, um, I do think it's a problem when police profile black men. I think that's a problem because all of these hardworking, good black men get pulled over way too much because they're black. It's like racial profiling. I think it was a problem when young men have more expensive insurance than young women just because they're men and the percentages are higher. I think that's wrong. I think everyone should be start off on an equal slate and you know if you prove that you're a dangerous driver your insurance goes up, right? So I do think that's a problem. I think the group mentality of looking at this and also the, the, the I've heard people say that Will is trying to you know more you know black women need to be protected you know all women need to be protected oh that's another agenda I heard some people say that will maybe they're going to use this the agenda will be toxic masculinity so Will Smith will be the one that looks bad which he already does and they'll talk about toxic masculinity and that women don't need to be defended. Although I've heard others say that black women need to be defended more. And, uh, you know, so, I don't know. But I don't know where this is going. There's not really, there hasn't really been a, a set agenda yet that's being pushed politically. Which tells me that it was a real thing and not staged. Um, so, anyway... That's all I have to say about that pointless <laughs> jibber-jabber. Um, and so, all right, so I'll get right into the Bible study now. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is start with a perhaps the biggest chapter in the Old Testament referring to the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up uh, before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was des despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is bought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? And he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and his pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? Or by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. If you recall back, we talked about lamb sacrifices. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 1, it talks about the uh, lamb sacrifice being as an atonement for sin. And that's what it sounds like this Messiah was to be. Now this was, I think, around 500 or 600 B.C. is when Isaiah was written. And uh, it's just amazing how exact. And the Jewish people themselves rejected Jesus. Now I'm going to go to Luke chapter 2. I could probably get into more details on Messianic prophecies um, and figure out how everything in Isaiah 53 was fulfilled, but I'll just encourage you to study the scripture on your own. But let me go ahead and read Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made from Cyrenius, was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David to be taxed, and Mary has his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished 
that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and there were, they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which, has, which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel be before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he, he uh, had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of the people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, 
This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Assur. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she came in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake to him, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, and they returned into Galilee to their own city Nazareth, and the child grew and waxed strong and spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Sometimes I just let the scripture speak for itself and hope the the Holy Spirit will show you things. (laughs) I don't really have much to say on that. But next I'm going to go to John chapter 1. One of my favorite passages. And I read it in a previous podcast, but I'm going to read it again. Uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was to, was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as were received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which bore which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cameth after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And for his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, for grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For no man, seeing God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who art thou and he confessed and denied but confessed I am not the Christ and they asked him what then 
are you Elias? I think that's Elijah or Elisha. And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet Isaiah. And they, they which were uh, went or sent were the, of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you, whom you know not. He it is, who cometh after me, is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John sees Jesus coming into him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing you with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it bowed upon him, abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining of him, the same is which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. I'll stop there. I didn't, I mean, as far as chapter 1 goes. But I think that that chapter is so powerful. Once again, I'm just going to let the words speak for itself and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Um, but right now, let's do a song. I'm going to do one by Michael Card called Now That I've Held Him In My Arms. Baby. 
Once again, that's Michael Card called Now That I've Held Him In My Arms. I really like his music. Um, it's not, you know, artistic, psychedelic like I usually, but it is good enough. You know, most music bores me. But anyway, check out Michael Card. Uh, I'm going to go to John Chapter 3 now. And this episode, really, is the most important of all my episodes. It's about the gospel of you know, the gospel is the most important thing anybody could ever know. So, John chapter 3. Um, there's a man named Nicodemus. I'm not going to read everything here, but I'll start with... Um, Nicodemus is a, one of the Pharisees, and he approaches him and begins asking some questions. Uh, Nicodemus said... Uh, Let's see. Oh, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, heaven, of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind blows where it is uh, listed, and thou uh, hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come and whether it goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And know not these things. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So as it says here, the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be born again. And by be, by believing in him that you will be born spiritually now real quickly I want to look at Matthew 20 verse um, 17 through 19 and Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them behold we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and a scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. So he already knew what his fate would be, but he also knew that he would rise again. So I just wanted to to show that that because uh, there were some people that believe because there's other prophecies about the Messiah that he would uh, bring the kingdom, and I believe that's the second coming. So. We'll talk about that another time, but this is about the sacrifice of Jesus for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave it and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, remember the Passover supper was originated uh, when they were in Egypt and they put a lamb on the door, doorpost which saved the eldest born. The, the angel of death would come by and if there was a lamb on the doorpost, uh, they, they would pass, the angel would pass over. And so, the Israelites understood this in memory of being passed over by a lamb on the doorpost. Remember, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So when he is, if you put, if, if you accept the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and put it on your doorpost, so to speak, uh, the judgment will pass over you. The judgment of God will pass over you. So, um, so that's 
uh, I think, very, very important. Now I'm going to look at the last words that Jesus spoke when he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? You know, they, they had read all the prophecies about Jesus bringing in the kingdom. But his first coming was about the sacrifice, right? Well, he answered and said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And for three, four hundred years, the church was under persecution, and yet it continued to grow because hearts were really changed and people were willing to die for their faith, for the, to preach the, the gospel. And it has continued to, to grow and has reached just about every tribe, tongue, and nation. So uh, Romans chapter 3 has a couple more thoughts here before and, and we're almost done. Romans chapter 3 verses starting in verse 21. But now the righteous of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteous of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died. He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Romans 6.23 I'm going to skip to that verse. It's a big verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I'm going to, the last verses I'm going to read here is 1 John chapter 1. And um, I just want to encourage you out there, if you're listening, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and trusted in Him to cover your, blot out your sins, you know, we are all sinners. You know, I'm a sinner. And it's not by our own good works that we get saved. It's become a common idea, but that's not the case. So John chapter 1, I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also have may, have may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth but if we will walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's a little confusing. Depending on which verse you read, sometimes it seems like it's saying, for example, in 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light, um, let's see, where does it say it? Um, Let's see, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not know the tr and do not the truth. But then later it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So how does this work? Well, I believe that... Um, that we have two, like a dual, <laughs> dual uh, wills, I guess you could say, competing. 
the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is what we were born with, and we inherited um, sin through Adam. And so we're born with a sin nature. And um, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are born in the Spirit. But the flesh is still there. And it's a matter of living in the Spirit or living in the flesh. Now, one thing I will say is that all Christians struggle with sin. Every one of us. The difference between somebody who's of Jesus and somebody who's not is, number one, we have the, the, the desire, because we have the spirit, we have a spiritual desire to do what is right. And also, fruit will be born. Like, you know, a fruit tree will bear, you know, an apple tree will bear apples, you know. A, an orange tree will bear oranges. And a Christian will bear the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe that's all of them. Um, so we... Uh, now, I believe there's a growing curve. And also, I believe that if you... Um, it's like putting on the old, putting on the new man, taking off the old man. It, it's it talks about changing. It talks about walking. You know, um, we all fall, we all struggle, but if you are walking in the spirit, that is spending time reading the word, filling your mind with things from above, and less from garbage, and renewing your mind there's a lot of verses about renewing your mind um, and I also believe this strongly because I'm I'm in a when I look at myself I'm like how did I get here I should be a mess a bigger much bigger mess than I am I kind of look at myself as a sheep that wanders off and gets pulled back in by the shepherd you know, there's the the parable of the prodigal son, right? That went out, lived lived up his life, and then he was broken and came back to his father, broken, and his father forgave him and received him and everything. Um, I've seen other people that, you know, I don't think of myself as any better than they are, but for whatever reason. I keep getting pulled back in. There's been times in my life where I was like ready to step away from Christianity altogether where I didn't believe or I didn't want to believe and I wanted to just, you know, go full-fledged into the world things, worldly things. And yet there was something in me that kept me from doing that. Now, I want to say I have... I have dove in into worldly things. I have sinned. You know, I do. I have done bad things. <clears throat> very sinful things. But there's a conviction that comes with being. Having the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit we are convicted. 
we acknowledge it as a sin and we confess it. We confess that what we did was a sin. We, we know what sin is. If you're not a child of God, um, there's a lot of things that perhaps society accepts. For example, fornication or homosexuality. Society today in the, in the United States, I don't know where you're listening from, but probably most societies now basically look at fornication and homosexuality as okay. It's part of, you know, whatever. But the, according to the Bible, it's not. Those things are considered sinful uh, to God. And as believers, we know. Now, here's, here's one way I would look at it. Some people say, well, if you're Christian, you're not going to live in sin. Um, I think that there are people that do live in sin, but they know that it's wrong. And they're ashamed of it, and they feel trapped, right? Then there's other people that are... Um, you know, they, they dip their toes into it and then they confess, you know, all that stuff. But I would say that a non-believer uh, justifies those things. They don't think there's anything wrong with those things. Um, at least they try to convince themselves that. But they still have a conscience, and I bet you anything that they all deep down know what they're doing is wrong. Um, but... You know, it's very complicated. You know, I would just say, I hope the Holy Spirit <laughs> Spirit reveals these things to you as I read all these scriptures. Um, but I would say that the number one message of this podcast, this episode, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Thank you all and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Rob, go for instruction. What? Oh, man.